Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. It's volume 12, issue 559, and today we're going to talk about Guacamole, the first one. Not the sequel. Maybe we'll do that at some point in the future. Joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue, Brian Edwards. Hello, hello. Aaliyah Haydu. Hola. And here comes a new challenger. Welcome, for the first time, a new voice on the show, Sean Fletcher. Hello, good morning from Down Under. Yeah, welcome. Thanks for joining us at this ungodly hour, your local time. Even one hour than was originally planned, it's 6am Sean's time. So uh, bleary-eyed he joins us, but with, <laughs> with, with hopefully excitement. That's okay. I've had my siesta. I am ready to fiesta. Beautiful. <laughs> Guacamole, then, is a 2D Metroidvania style. You may hear that phrase quite a bit because everyone knows what it means. A Mexicana-themed platformer, arcade adventure with some wrestling moves thrown in. That's all you need to know, really, for now. We'll get into the nitty-gritty, but starting with our histories, as always. So, Sean, when did you first play Guacamole? And uh, and how much have you played it? So I first played uh, Guacamole around the time it was released uh, in 2013. At that time, I was working for Future Publications in Sydney, so working across ah, some really cool magazines, awesome. PC Power Play and Hyper Magazine. That was like a multi-format gaming mag. Very cool. So Guacamole came in for review, and uh, all the editorial guys were pretty busy, kind of looking at the latest AAA games. I think uh, one of the guys was reviewing. Some Dishonored DLC, if I remember correctly. Oh, yeah. uh, Witches of Dunwall. Remember... Something like that. Sorry, yeah. that's irrelevant. Yeah, Don't let me derail that, you with my Dunwall <laughs> reminiscence. I can't remember. Dunwall, I think there were a few DLCs for the first one, but yeah, it could have been, been Dunwall. Uh, and I was I was actually working in the ad team at the time, so I was on the other side to the editorial team. I was uh, the dirty guy selling ads at that time to ah, okay. to publishers. But uh, they, as they were always picking up the new games, I used to see what indies were, were coming in for review. We used to get sent a lot of codes. And I remember when the code for Guacamele came in, I, I took a look at it and I thought, oh, that looks that looks pretty cool. And the guys said, look, we'll, we'll send you over the code for this one. Just do us a short review in return. That was kind yep. of the uh, the going rate for for those indies back there. So yeah. And I like, had a lot of lot more free time back then as well. This was before I was married. I was engaged at the time, but didn't have children. Um, and just this was one game that because it's not such a long game, I think I just belted through it in, in two or three days. And enjoyed it, but didn't really give it too much of a second thought, but did remember that there was a lot of side content that I didn't really explore. Mm. Uh, got the bad ending, so I thought, look, there was a little oh. bit of bit of unfinished business there, so it's a game that I always plan to return to. And then, yeah, upon talking with you guys, and then you shared the Magical Traffic List podcast, and uh, sorry, the Traffic List spreadsheet, and I thought, this yeah. is one that I'd like to revisit and talk about again. So, yeah, that's why I'm uh, here today and excited to talk about Guacamole. Brilliant. Leah, what about yourself and Juan, whatever his name is? <laughs> yeah, so I I did not play this at launch. Uh, I'm not sure when I picked it up, but it was one of the games that I played when I was starting my uh, the job that I currently am at. And I have a pretty significant commute. Um, I, I work part-time from home now, but at the time it was, you know, it's an hour there and back every day. So, uh, you know, it's it's... 
significant enough that I would, and I still do, usually take a console of some kind with me, whether it's the Switch or the Vita or whatever. And uh, yeah, I played Guacamelee on the train on my way to work and back over the course of a week or whatever it was. Nice. Um, and then I played it again recently for the show, uh, and I played the ps4 version on a mm -hmm. ps5 uh yeah. and um both times completed it um i i, I don't know it would, i'd say pretty average uh completion rate like i, mm -hmm. I didn't 100 percent it or anything yeah. but i really enjoyed going through it and picking up on what whatever side quests happen to kind of catch my fancy right. usually the ones involving chickens because i think that's really funny but um <laughs> yeah that's that's kind of where i am any games with uh, wild fowl or fowl of any kind, poultry? Yeah, you know, I, I, I was I was a, a fan of the Untitled Goose game as exactly. well. Uh -huh. So, um, yeah, maybe th maybe there's just a trend. Yeah, more <laughs> games involving ducks. Yeah, Brian, what mm -hmm. about you? Uh, yeah, I distinctly remember playing it for the first time because it was a PS Plus game. I think like 2015 it was yep. on PlayStation Plus. And that's when I got correct. it. <laughs> I, uh, I downloaded it at the time just because I, you know, every time the PlayStation Plus games came up, you'd always download them <laughs> or at least at least add them to your library so you could download them later. And I didn't think much of it at first. I, I kind of had it and like, oh, this is kind of cool. And I'm a, as podcast fans will know, I'm a bit of a wrestling nerd. So just the kind of luchador aesthetic was already appealing to me. And uh, mm -hmm. the way I played this game the first time through was actually uh, mostly in co-op. Um we oh. play, played with a friend, and um, huh. we kind of we when we, before we had two controllers for the PlayStation Four, we would just go back and forth, and um, it kind of became just a, a friend night thing. I saved it from my buddy Tom was over, and we kind of go back and forth, play through it, and then asymmetrical co-op, yeah, basically, um, <laughs> right. with a, a lot of um, adult beverages mixed in between um, as yeah. we had fun on those nights. Tequila, and, yes, and. <laughs> So yeah, I we played through to completion. I did. I did see I had the trophy unlocked for um for completing the game back at the time, but I couldn't. Have, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that that I had actually finished the game proper. Um, playing it through a second time for the show, I played it kind of in an exact opposite way. I played it by myself. I I treated it much more. I approached it much more in a way that I would approach a like a standard Metroidvania game, and I, I became pretty pretty obsessed with it over the course of a week and a half or so. Um, ended up getting the good ending the second time around. Um, and, and doing all the little challenges necessary in order to get that. So I bet I probably put 15 hours or so into it over the course mm. of a week and a half to, to do that. Um, I initially hit credits around like eight hours or something like that, and then put a bunch of other time into it to get to, get to the good ending. Cause I, I um. didn't want Juan to be sad. <laughs> so I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I wanted, I wanted to see him enjoy happiness. So I went back. That's to just him. so Brian of you. <laughs> he was so sad. <laughs> but anyway, that's uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. Uh, I also got a review code for this back in 2013, and um, yeah, gave it a quick review for the site. Probably played about halfway through, something like that, and. Uh, hadn't been back to it since but it's one of those games that and i'm sure this is the case for many of you listening to this that it's ended up in my library in multiple ways i think it's on steam probably got it in a bundle it was on games with gold it's on playstation plus um and yeah so i replayed it uh, and fully played it this time for the show just for the last uh, week or 10 days or so um on xbox series x it's the xbox one client unenhanced but um but yes it's uh 
that's it. I don't have anything more to say than what we're going to say about it in the show. So let's crack on. The developers are Drinkbox Studios. Um, I was aware of some of their other games, but I haven't played many of them. Uh, any any fans of the developer? Was was anyone going into this game going, oh, I loved uh, Mutant Blob, Tales from Outer Space, or whatever it was called? Uh, my my love for Drinkbox is definitely is now more in retrospective. I've I've slowly grown to love them to now the point where. A Drinkbox yeah. games come out. A Drinkbox Studios game comes out. It's a day yeah. one thing for me for sure. Right, and we've had severed since then, and uh, nobody saves the world. And Guacamole too. Yeah, and Guacamole too. Yeah, pretty much the same. I I loved um, Nobody Saves the World, uh, and I uh, also played Severed on the train as another uh, one yeah. of my commute games. After I played Guacamole, I've not played Guacamole too. So mm. uh, if we get into that uh, at, at a future point, I, yeah. I think I, will I think there was a, re a review written on the Canaris blog was. about Guacamole too by some handsome fella. I can't remember who yeah. did it, but a very mm. nice review, very positive one. <laughs> yeah, and you played it, have you, Sean? Yeah, Guacamole too is great. It actually um, it kind of takes a few of the things the first game does and pushes them a little bit further. Mm -hmm. And also checking out Severed, that art style looks uh, from what I saw from screenshots and things, it looks quite similar to to Guacamole, and that art really appeals yeah. to me. So I think it's something I'll check out down the line as well. Yeah, yeah. I um I, I after I finished Guacamole Super Championship Turbo Edition, I immediately fired up Guacamole too just out of curiosity and because I had basically a fun time and um it was actually striking i think uh as cool a game as uh as cool as guacamole one looks um and we'll talk about the graphics as we always do uh but the sequel is strikingly more beautiful oh, i would yeah. say like it, yeah. it starts as a it, you know, obviously it started as a next generation on game whereas this started on ps3 uh X, xbox 360 um and uh and the yeah, the next game is just uh, yeah, way more kind of intricate and sort of yeah. It's we'll talk about it when we cover it, but um, it was interesting because when I spoke to uh, Darren Gargett of this parish about it, he was sort of saying, "Oh, he hadn't really clocked sort of there being much of a change in the graphics, but it's because he hadn't played them side by side. But if you run them side by side, it's like wow." Um, well, I I found it to be that anyway. Um, broken rules are the studio that ported it to Wii U because I think they'd promised a Wii U version and so they did it. Um, don't know how many it sold, but uh, bless them. Um, the Wii U store at the time of recording has another few weeks, I think, before it's shut down forever. So if you want the Wii U version, now's your chance. Uh, Drinkbox published it themselves across most formats, but weirdly, Activision published it on the Xbox 360 for XBLA. That is kind of weird. Why? I don't know. Uh, Guacamole team are the credits. I think they've gone for that very sort of egalitarian Valve type thing where they haven't credited anyone as being any more important than anyone else. I think the entire team is sort of listed in alphabetical order or something like that, which yeah. I think is quite nice. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, they got the, I got that vibe from the uh, the GDC postmortem on yeah. that, that they're very much a kind of a... No, you know, no, no real. There are studio heads, but it's no of one course. person is considered more important than the other. I, I really enjoyed that kind of vibe from the way they spoke about it. Yeah, it sounds like I think there's some stuff come out from Valve, which suggests that although that's how it's portrayed, like the reality maybe isn't quite so utopian, <laughs> but 
it's it's very hard to have a creative outlet where there aren't some people driving things in certain directions i think yeah um but i i admire the intent and even if it isn't actually like that the fact that you're portraying it as being like that and saying everyone in everyone who contributed to this contributed and therefore they are equally important to it i think that's kind of a a nice thing to do isn't it they did uh credit uh, call out the composers um which i guess makes sense because I, I think they're not part of the team as such they're hired um so rom di prisco who is uh, a veteran of over 30 games including um i think fortnite recently but also going back to things like unreal tournament 3 and ssx tricky and the need for speed series but has also contributed music for things like the Oprah Winfrey show and the Sopranos and America's next top model. So TV and films as well. And Peter Chapman also involved in the audio. It was released for PS3 and Vita first in April, 2013. Was it cross by? I feel like it was. I didn't check. We just covered dragon's crown in a previous show, which wasn't controversially a cross by title. I feel like if you own this on one, you own this on both. I never played the PS3 version, so I'm not sure. Yeah. Anyway. I did play on PS3. That was the original. And that was, it actually wasn't the Super Turbo Championship Edition. No, no, so no. that was another no, that reason one. for going back. I knew that it had those new abilities and a couple yeah. of new areas new and areas. things as well. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Truck Kurt is our first contributor for this podcast from the forum who says Guacamole came as a huge surprise to me. Being a huge fan of the Vita, I was always keeping up to date with its latest releases and picked this up after seeing the positive reviews. At the time, I think it must have been only the second second Metroidvania I'd ever played. Prior to it, I played and really enjoyed Shadow Complex, so I knew it was a genre I would be interested in playing more of. The theme and art style are the obvious ways it stands out, but there's also the combo-focused combat, which I think Drinkbox absolutely nailed. It felt so satisfying to chain together combos and mix it in with the platforming. It could get pretty tough towards the end, with both the combat challenges and platforming, and, and that would be my only criticism of the game, as I nearly threw the Vita at the wall at times. I managed to push through, though, and was left with one of my favourite Metroidvanias. Yeah, the Vita's kind of fragile. Don't, uh, yeah. it's no DS in that way. No. Don't throw it at a wall. <laughs> Not cheap to replace now, either, I would imagine. No. Well, I haven't looked, but I can only assume. Yeah. Uh, there was, the first update was the uh, Windows Gold Edition, which, uh, which included a previously released, I think, costume DLC, character DLC. This was just in August of the same year, 2013. But they also added, I didn't know about this, Steam Workshop support, which allowed players to create their own character skins using Adobe Flash and share them online. Pretty cool. <laughs> that is pretty cool. Is it bad that the first thing I thought, though, was I wonder how they're moderating that because there's definitely yeah. some just naked character skins floating oh, yeah. around out there? I guess in a kind of indie game way and you don't have that same sort of, maybe feel they don't feel the need to kind of be so hyper-protective about their IP. Maybe they're just happy to have loads of nude <laughs> senoritas and Juans and whatever else. Um, yeah, let us know, listeners, if you've ever played a, the, the you porn version. you have created any naked skins <laughs> for <laughs> yeah. Never played that one. Mac and Linux <laughs> versions arrived February 2014, and then the so-called Super Turbo Championship Edition. I may get those words in the wrong order from time to time. 2nd of July 2014, updated version of the game, adds new regions, expands some story elements and an, adds a new ability, as well as a boss within one of the area expansions. Uh, 
they added uh, two from uh, two player co-op to four player co-op, which sounds like mayhem to me. Mm. Um, I can't imagine playing like that. We'll talk more on that later. Uh, they've changed a few little graphical effects, and uh, they also added the dual currency setup. So I assume in the original version, you everything was gold coins, including so you were unlocking abilities for cash, but also costumes. But in the the remaster, they added uh, they added these silver coins with which you can buy new costumes. More of which later. I, came I appreciate with. that just because I mm. I would be very tempted to purchase cosmetic. Well, they're not completely cosmetic, as you kind of alluded yeah, to. But... I did find that out, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the hard way. But um, <laughs> I, I would be more tempted to do that and then could potentially suffer for not actually upgrading my character that much. Yeah, exactly. So having them split a little bit kind of takes that decision out of my hands, which is maybe yeah. a good thing in that in that respect. Yeah. Absolutely. Sean S. Thomas from the forum says, for about five years, the Wii U was the only console I owned. And after I'd blitzed through many of the Nintendo releases, I moved on to the indies. Guacamole was easily one of the standout titles on the system. As the moveset increased, the levels became more and more challenging, with the final few almost beating me. I haven't gone back to the game in a good while, but in my head, it felt like it was the precursor to much of what Celeste did so well years later in terms of asking you to chain various forms of movement and momentum together to make progress the wrestling theme and colorful nature of the game also played its part in stopping frustration setting in the nods to other games felt original at the time too i doubt guacamole would bother many best games ever lists but it's a fine example of a 2d indie platformer it's interesting there he mentions Celeste. I've it's it's yeah. a quite a different game to Celeste, but upon reading more about it, and I think even Brian's review on the Kane and Rinse site mm-hmm. about the Guacamole too, you do get those Celeste vibes. Uh, playing, I did playing yeah. along with that. Everyone seems to feel that. So it's I, interesting, I, um, interesting point to compare yeah, it with. Yeah, I, I think you could. I think you would honestly miss out on a lot of those vibes too if you decided to kind of mainline and not go after some of the extra challenges, the extra chests, like. Yeah, a lot of those point. real, like, hardcore platforming sections are kind of cordoned off to where it, like, teases you with the chest at the top of a thing, and you can kind of do that math in your head of, like, do I really yeah. want to do this right now? Like, yeah. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, the, the, it definitely, but there's, oh, man, there's some sections there. When I was trying to get a few of the last piece of the mask, they're, they they get pretty intense. Yeah, it's, yeah. do I want to do this now? And sometimes, can I do this now? Sometimes yeah, you haven't quite got the oh, ability yeah. and you go, well, I'm so close, but uh, but not quite there. You have to find something else in order to uh, to, to make it. Some of those screens are intimidatingly spiky. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Celeste come Super Meat Boy kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, the Switch version was the last and most recent to arrive five years ago now, nearly uh, on 8th of October 2018. Of course, it had to have a Switch version. Makes perfect sense. Alex79 from our forum says, I really like Guacamelee. I've played it through twice, once on Vita and again on Switch. I thought it had some really cool ideas with regard to the combat and platforming and the challenge was just on the right side of things. Some areas were pretty tough, but it never felt frustrating or unfair. I'd say it's one of the best games for the Vita all, though perhaps gets a little lost when surrounding by the plethora of other quality Metroidvania type games on other systems. So Alex didn't feel the need to smash Vita against wall mileage is varying <laughs> uh, reviews wise well open critic has the the super 
Turbo Championship Edition uh, reviewed at 89% on average, recommended by 96% of 53 reviewers. The original Metacritics uh, spread from 84 to 90 for the different versions. User reviews, uh, very all very similar. Um, Nintendo Life and Push Square all vary from 7.9 to 8.5 for the Vita version, but around 8 is the score, which is interesting because it is... Yeah, just a few percentile points lower than the critical uh, sort of reception. I don't know if there's anything in that or not. Maybe it's just Metroidvania fatigue or something. I don't know. It's quite a popular genre. On Steam, from 2,000 punters, it has a very positive rating. Uh, Sales-wise, couldn't find much data, and I don't know how accurate this Steam Spy site is, but... For the original gold version on PC, it, it had a, a user base of, quotes 500,000 to 1 million. But for the the more popular, more recent edition, Super Championship Turbo, it had 5 to 10 million, which is probably because it's been given away in various bundles and things like that. I imagine that's how many libraries it's in rather than how many people have actually played it, which I... I would assume is often quite there's quite a disparity in that with with Steam. I mean, how many of how many of us have got unplayed games in Steam? All of us, I'm sure. Not me. No, I definitely play <laughs> every all. single game played that I own. One. And oh, uh... yes, clearly, <laughs> which, is, which is why you're perfect for this podcast. Um, she's completed everything, folks. Um, and yeah, no idea about consoles, but I I reckon a lot. What do you reckon? <laughs> I well, I mean, it, as we mentioned before, it was with Games with Gold and it was with um, yeah. the PlayStation Plus, games, yeah. which I'm for some reason blanking on mm. at the moment. But um, Plus. Plus, yeah. <laughs> thank you. That was <laughs> deceptively easy. Uh, yeah, but it, it's been on those things in addition to being in uh, probably a lot of sales and oh, bundles yeah. and that kind of thing. Yeah. I'm yeah. pretty sure that that I have seen it like in a pretty regular bundle with yeah. Mutant Blobs Attack and Severed yep. uh, and or Severed. Uh, so I, I think it's probably pretty high. Drinkbox yes. Classics. Yeah. I reckon, let's say 2 billion people have got this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, give or take. Seems uh, like an okay number. Yeah. <laughs> it's it, it's definitely one of those ones that appears on those Steam deals where you, you see it and like the price is something like, Two ninety nine, and like, and yeah. if it wasn't already in my library, I'd just be spamming the buy now button. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like for three bucks. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's not even real money, and just smashing yeah, exactly. buttons. That yeah, mm-hmm. I I no, I don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be one of those games where a lot of people listening to this actually own it but haven't played it. Uh, so I guess maybe some people. I I don't think I haven't been considered a spoiler warning. Um, there it is. If you want one, I don't think it's really that kind of game. Um. So, yeah, hopefully maybe you'll be listening to this thinking, should I play this? Well, listen on and find out. If you want to know the story, Carlos Calaca has kidnapped El Presidente's daughter and he plans to sacrifice her in order to merge the world of the living with the world of the dead. Juan Aguacate, an agave farmer who stumbles upon a legendary luchador mask, must find the strength and courage to become the hero he's always dreamed of being and put a stop to this. Mm-hmm. Any anyone want to come in on the story? Does it matter? Do they care? Do you like it? I mean, we can obviously spread into discussion around the the writing and the humor of the game, if you like. I think 
the thing I appreciate about the story, and I, I could I'm making some leaps of logic and and uh, and doing some uh, supposition here, but they it seems like they knew the story. It feels like the developer knows the story is not what you're there for, and it wears that pretty plainly on its face and in in the way it kind of nods to um, the story and other games and things with the writing humor. We'll talk about in a minute, and I think it, it's so focused on that gameplay kind of right out of the bat. It lets you. It kind of lets you know why you're there or why they think you're there. Um, so I did appreciate that. So I wasn't necessarily worried about the the motivations of Carlos Calaca and things like that. You know, it was more just bad guy, kip, kidnap president's right. daughter. I save her, and and I you know beat a lot of people up on the way. I think that that was that was all I needed at least to kind of get moving. Yeah, for me, the I guess the um, the the draw was the. The, the setting, the scenario, the, the Mexicana, the Day of the Dead, the stuff that ha- not that many games have explored. You know, Grim Fandango obviously springs to mind. but and, and, and the use of, obviously, I don't want to dive into art just yet, but just the use of the look of that, that kind of, uh, that, that Mexican Day of the Dead and Mexicana kind of stuff. Sorry, Leo, I cut across you. No, I was just going to uh, make my contribution, which is that Calaca means skull. Well, it's almost onomatopoeic. Mm. I thought it was a play on words on That's what you think of the story. Um, yeah, Sean, was was this any part of your? Uh, obviously, we're 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 getting to know you on this show as well. Like every everyone on this show has their own. Uh, although we kind of, you know, we don't go over, we don't oversell our kind of importance as personalities and stuff on Kane and Rince, but it is it is important to know what we like, what motivates us, and things like that. So. Are you the kind? Are you the kind of person who will dive onto a game like this purely because of the gameplay, or will it? Was it something about the aesthetic, or even the scenario that hooked you in? So yeah, I I did um, I did enjoy the story, but it wasn't something that kind of kept me driven forward and and motivated. Uh, I wanted to I wanted to save El Presidente's daughter. I wanted one to to succeed, but. First and foremost, I'm a gameplay kind of guy. I I was in there for the gameplay uh, for for Guacamelee. The story kept me interested, but it wasn't the main focus for me. Yeah. So, what about the the humor and the writing? Did that help kind of drive your experience along at all? Or was it actually you know cringe and groan and click through it? I, I think a few of the things landed for me, but there was it was quite cringe and groan. Like I think the humor is it, it relies pretty heavily on puns and also a lot of that meme humor, which really dates the game from from ten years ago, <laughs> sure, in yeah. my opinion. Like you you know that it's from a certain time when you read some of those jokes and and you see the signs throughout the game and things like that, and you go, oh, I remember that reference. So yeah, I f- I found that it had kind of dated itself a little bit with that. But look, there were one or two things that um that made me laugh. I it's funny you say the dating thing because I I lit up like full on lit up when I saw a poster of Strong Bad on there and from Homestar Runner and I was like oh, yeah, oh this is incredible and then I realized so I I just looked it up like the last the last time Strong Bad email was like <laughs> active was like 2014 or 15 you know what I mean so there're definitely stuff in there that dates it it yeah. was a it made me you know grin ear to ear and I went down a YouTube hole that night because of it but um, but yeah, it, it, it definitely dates itself with that kind of humor style for sure. I agree. Yeah. The Zelda references have aged better than the, uh, Castle Crashers ones. For yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's for hey, sure. I like Castle Crashers. <laughs> oh yeah, sure. I'm not, I'm not dissing Castle Crashers. I'm just saying it was, it was a big thing in 2013 in a way that it probably isn't now. Yeah. I, I, I think I landed somewhere in the middle. Like I, I, I don't, 
it didn't bother me that the references were there. I kind of got, you know, the little side, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah uh -huh. like a, a little chuckle out of it. But I, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, see, I, I feel like some games of this nature can kind of beat you over the head with their, and I'm using air quotes here, humor, mm -hmm. um, especially when it's clearly referential and supposed to be kind of a current thing. I don't feel like this game does that. It is there and it is dated, definitely. But I I felt like it was kind of unobtrusive is not quite the word that I want because that just kind of that sounds bad. <laughs> but uh, but but it's close. You know, it's it's not it's not shoving their attempts at at uh, referential comedy down your throat if you don't want them, you know, to be doing that. Yeah. I don't think it's really yeah, hard it's to convey Oh sorry. Um I, I think it's hard to convey humor to through just text and like oh, it, yeah. it's 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 up to the reader, you know, what what mood are you in then when you're reading that? You know, like like are you expecting the humor to be good? Are you expecting it or are, did the first joke throw you off and now you're like, yeah, haha, okay. You know, without without vocal performances there, you know, it's, it's kind hard of, for video games to be funny. Yeah, to be, for sure. In my yeah. experience, oh, yeah. genuinely oh, for funny. Sure. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I think he, and I think just like the the humor, it can all be largely just ignored for the for the gameplay. If you're getting plenty out of that as well, you can kind of just ignore the jokes and ignore the uh, ignore the story and just continue on enjoying the the tight gameplay. Yeah, I I agree with with what you said, Leo. I, I think it's like it's it's there and and it it can be like in isolation a bit kind of you know yeah eye rolling, but it's it's I don't know. There's something about it which is not very. It's, it's not, not overwhelming. I think yeah, is more what I wanted. It's not. It's not just trying too hard. It, it kind of. I think it knows it's a bit silly, and you know, perhaps it's not the the main reason you're there because you've got this great looking, sounding, playing game. And yeah, um, yeah. No, inoffensive is is a good word. It's uh, it's neither hilarious nor yeah, utterly like you know, grinding your teeth, thinking you want to play something else because the humor's so off putting. Yeah. But yeah, of course, it's a very subjective thing. I think probably some people love these characters um, and the world that was created, which does bring us on to the visuals, which, yeah, for me is a much, much more striking part of the package. As I say, even having looked at the sequel, which I think is kind of layer, layers more spectacular, there's actually something I like about the original's kind of simplicity in a way. Like it's um, not that, not that I... I think the sequel probably has too many problems with clarity. We were talking about that again with, with Dragon's Crown in the previous show, but uh, it, it's always, even with this with this very striking art style, it's always incredibly clear, I think, what's going on on the screen. And it's just, yeah, it's just like, other than kind of cutesy, traditional cutesy platformers, it's really unusual to have a game with such a bright, warm colour palette, greens and pinks and purples and yellows and, and all this stuff, but but I never found it like garish or over much. It was just just like a pleasure to to look at for me. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. There's a lot of, uh, I, I think by 2013, well, no, actually, I was going to say by 2013, we were kind of coming out of the everything is brown and gray, but I guess we weren't yet really. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, this would have been something that kind of stood out in that it was not intended to be kind of gloomy and realistic air quotes again uh so yeah I, I i really like how this game looks i'm not 
I know that there has to be a specific term, and, and maybe somebody knows it uh, here, for that type of animation that almost looks like cutout, kind yeah. of. It's like papercraft. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to yeah. describe it as like paper dolls, kind of, yeah. Yeah, so I, I that's that's also something that I don't think I've seen in very many games that were not literally Paper Mario. So well, that came after, like um, uh, uh, Wonder Song is yeah. kind of yeah. has a similar, even kind of even more simplistic vibe. Tearaway. Yeah. 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 Another uh, Vita. <laughs> oh, yeah. Use those back panels. Tearaway. Yes. Um, yeah. Free on yeah. PS Plus this month, too. Oh. <laughs> um, I. No, I agree completely with both of you. Um, that the the vibrancy of everything just made me kind of want to see what the next color palette was going to be, like what the next environment was going to be shaded like, and 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 the way those characters move, like it's a, it's a, the the thing I'd written down is a mixture of like paper dolls and marionettes, almost like it just kind of mm. has this bounciness to it, and um, you marry that with just the overwhelmingly like you said, Leah, just that bright those bright colors and these. You know, pinks and yellows and greens and and it just there there's nothing there's always something on the screen to look at and it's and when it's in motion especially and when they were the way they use color in the battle system which we'll get to i think only only adds to that you're swapping between worlds you're swapping using different attacks based on different colored enemies and it's just like everything pops off the screen if for a game that can become visually noisy it still mm. remains readability there and i think that's that's impressive because um you know, just coming off, not to reference previous podcasts, but we, we were just talking about readability in the Dragon's Crown yeah, show. Yeah, I just did that, so carry yeah. on, by all <laughs> uh, means. We, we just um we just talked about readability in the Dragon's Crown show, and I, I the, the, those problems of knowing where you were on screen, knowing what attack you were doing, knowing what enemy you were connecting with, I, I didn't really have any of that here, and I think the main reason for that is that visual style. I do wonder about uh, local co-op, whether it retained that with three or four on screen. I, to me, I, I like I, I can't I can't speak to it because I haven't tried it, but it sounds like carnage. But yeah, um, I remember it being a little messy, but also, um, you know, my 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 reference points might be a little fuzzy <laughs> because based on the fact that we were normally um, enjoying some uh, Paps Blue Ribbons, as it were, as we were playing the game. So <laughs> ah, classic. <laughs> yes, um, exactly. With lime in the top. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I um I wonder just with regard to the visuals, how it treats colorblind people. If Ooh, there's mm, any, yeah. I, I, I didn't actually look at the no, options, but I don't think that there's really any kind of option for that. And the mm, only reason no. I even think it would matter is because in some of the combat, like Brian yeah. was just saying, there it, there are different colored shields that you need to use different abilities to break through. So yeah. I don't I don't know how That's that would That's a good point. Work. Red red green color blindness in men yeah. is the most common kind and yes, you need to know the difference in this game. Mm -hmm. Um I noticed on the blocks that you smash with the different abilities they do have pictures. Yeah, they've got like arrows, well. don't they? Yeah. Yeah, and I guess you could learn it from enemy types and trial and error, but yes, I think if this came out now Drinkbox would probably do as many developers are doing and add some accessibility options, even sure. yeah, yeah, even even if just the simplest ones for for something that's so yeah common and as color blindness. Sean, are you somebody who like I'm I'm wondering I don't know if you've got an opinion on this is is this the kind of game where I think some people um, are put off of games that are kind of 
they might perceive as being cutesy or, you know, cartoony or something like that. And do you think maybe something like this could almost straddle the divide because it's although it is kind of cutesy and cartoony, also it's of a it, it's got a style. It's got a whole kind of thing going on that maybe transcends age groups or whatever. Yeah, look, they've they've definitely got the style. I think with Day of the Dead is a bit like that, you know. It's a it's a it's a it celebrates uh, death, but in a cutesy kind of colourful way, right. which I just yeah. think is is awesome, and I love that mm. aesthetic. And they definitely committed to that when um, when putting the game together, and that was one of the highlights for me. I love the art throughout. I love the design of Juan. I like the all the different skelly kind of character designs that you come up against. And also the way that it mixes it up with those different colours that you mentioned before, it makes each combat encounter a bit of a puzzle as well as a, uh, a, mm, yeah. a traditional kind of beat em up Yeah. Alex79 says, I thought the art style was good and I enjoyed the little nods to other games or aspects of popular culture. The music was great too. Brian. How much time do you have? <laughs> You're a resident musician and I, and I have a feeling... Uh. But uh, I, I think um, I think the, the the phrase in my head that I came up with for the audio in this was mariachi and chips. Yeah, it is <laughs> it is something else. I this is one that a game that is grained in my soul because of the music. I there there's this moment, and I I won't I won't promise you I will not just go on for hours about the intricacies of what I like about it and and how those trumpet trill lines mix with those. It's just it's incredible, but. Um, I feel like you really notice the nuance of it when you're switching between worlds, like the world of the dead and what's the, the main town is called like a, a Pueblucho. I, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, and it has this very kind of bombastic trumpet, like theme. And you go into the dark, the, 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 the world of the dead. And that's that theme is still playing, but it has these haunting kind of like spectral ghosts singing along with it. And it's just like, Oh man, get the headphones, plug them in. You know, this game, this game has, like just eclectic music styles for days that just match every area fully and and in areas where you are going to slow down or have a dungeon or a combat encounter like it, it just it matches the pace of the audio with what you're doing in such a pleasant and vibrant way and i i am a big fan of uh, mariachi music in general um yeah. i learned how to play when i learned to play any guitar it was classical guitar some of the first things i learned and and i just I can't say enough about the music in this game. The soundtrack has been saved in my YouTube history for a very long time, and it's 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 a very common refrain when I am cooking dinner for the family to hear the guacamole soundtrack coming out of the kitchen. <laughs> I love the music. I thought it was great. It was upbeat, and it had yeah those mariachi uh, kind of traditional mariachi music, but with some really cool chippy dance tunes in the background. And yeah. I just found I was always bopping along and and tapping my feet and. Uh, like music and games for me, I am a little bit guilty of of letting it fall into the background uh, a little bit, but I always had the sound on with this one. It wasn't for me a game that I could play while I listened to a podcast and did other things. Uh, I found that it needed my full attention, so I like to bop along with the music as it goes. And in particular, that uh, that tune, I just managed to get that out of my head, and Brian's just put it straight back in there. So <laughs> I'll be humming that on the drive home today. <laughs> Earworm reinstalled. Yes. What about you, Leah? You got some earworms left over from your guacamole? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I. This is something that I feel like is it, it. It spans both the the music and the just the visual art. I I feel like it could have been very easy for this game to take almost a stereotypical bent, um, and and I feel like it escapes that by just really reveling in what it's doing. I feel like it could have been 
really easy for this game to slip into kind of stereotypes almost. Uh, yeah. Just because I, I, it's not, it's not a kind of theme that a lot of the audience for this game may have been familiar with. And I imagine mm. that a lot of them are, but it, it's not something that's kind of as front and center as you might expect from a, a, a popular game like this. So to see them just kind of really enjoying and reveling in the the traditions that they drew this music and this art style and 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 all of that from is just really cool for me. I like how that all blends together mm. and it 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 was very satisfying for me uh, as as a whole. Yeah, forgive they... my ignorance, but I don't actually know how many Hispanic people worked on this game. I don't yeah. know. I, I was wondering about that, but I didn't look it There was definitely out. a couple in the art team. I know that there sure. was a couple that um, that helped kind of inspire art. And, uh, yeah, it was interesting. I was wondering that myself, whether it ever kind of went into stereotype or into any, mm. you know, offensive territory. Cultural I appropriation didn't feel it. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. It could have it it come across as you do still see um, that there does, it is one of those sort of, again, very heavy quotes drawn around this, but it does seem to be, particularly in America, one of those acceptable forms of xenophobia around um, Central and South Americans sometimes. You still see it on, on TV and shows that would otherwise you would expect to be quite sort of liberal and progressive, but yeah, it's okay absolutely. to kind of have funny Mexican characters and things like that. I don't know. Oh, look, he's wearing a sombrero and he's lazy. Yeah, no, I, it's, is I, that true? I, I, I completely is it... understand what you're saying and yeah. it is yeah. frustrating, so I'm glad that this game did not. Yeah, it really doesn't feel like that at all. It feels to me, and like I'm speaking as talking of cultural appropriation, we have a um, a Mexican Day of the Dead. um, What do they call it? Those canvases you put over the table, um, vinyl thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just to me, it's just like a, it's a celebration of something that, and it and it's like an embracing of a what is a beautiful art style, and I think a beautiful sentiment, like the um, the 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 Pixar film, Coco. Yeah. Coco, which yeah. I adored. Yes. Yeah, love it. Um, it feels like that kind of, you know, like mm-hmm. it, even if it isn't a hundred percent authentic, it, it's in no way kind of a, a yeah, a, a degradation of of it. Far that's from a celebration, a, celebration rather than degradation. Yeah, that's, I think, yeah, that's sure. exactly what I was gonna say. The the whole soundtrack seems very celebratory. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And have you heard those trumpets? Have I mentioned the trumpets? <laughs> I, I do oh, like especially the trumpets in, uh, oh, in yeah, video right? game music. We've oh, talked man, on this show that. before. That I feel it's been a while since we've talked about it, but um, we often lament the lack of sax in video game soundtracks. Yes. And and when there is sax, it, it I mean, you know, there's been some... Pr- in general, really. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, unless it's kind of big, bombastic, orchestral. Mm. But brass used in, in those, those other interesting tangential genres and... Yeah, um, yeah, more of more of this, please. Um, Speaking of tangents, um, I had to stop playing the trumpet in second grade because I got braces. Oh, I got sore lips. I, I also learned the trumpet for a bit as a kid, and yeah, I used to get horrible cracked lips, and it put me right off. So uh, I was a overweight American child. So can you guess what instrument I played? You're the correct. Recorder. It was the tuba. It was the tuba because I could support the. So weight. you could soundtrack yourself walking <laughs> yeah, around. Exactly. I played a bunch of stuff because my mother is a <laughs> band director. But um, yeah, the, the, I kind of wish that that I could play like that on the trumpets. So. Oh yeah, no, it's. I played yeah. trumpet growing up as well. Did you? We got loads of trumpeters here. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's there is something joyful about those about those uh, yeah Mexican trumpets. 
And yeah. um, I don't know if it's something specific to just Mexico out of all Central and South America, but um, it's nice. It sounds nice to my ears. <laughs> uh, the sound design, how about that? The um, the audio in the game um, for, you know, for use both as uh, information and uh, entertainment. How does How did that go down, thinking about the combat and special effects noises and things like that? Any anything to talk about that? I think the when it comes to combat, I think it was pretty important that like knowing when those combos were ending and when you were done with like a three four hit kind of run or um, just the 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 meaty thwack of Juan's fist against the various enemies, I think was uh, was satisfying Crucial. to keep you through. Yeah. Um, and like you said, the way the uh, conveying information in, in that regard, when there are a lot of enemies on screen, especially those time ticking down ones, you, you want to know that you're making those hits and um, a lot of visual um, identification that you're doing damage as well, which helps. But uh, it did it did marry up pretty good, I thought. Yeah, even though the graphics are that kind of light papery look, I still found that every time you hit an enemy, it had that good whack to it. It had a satisfying kind of hit and there's also a little a little gap in between so that you can you can really string your combos together and you can roll between the enemies and things like that and the sound did really help you just to keep up with where your combo was at and extend mm -hmm. those as long as as long as you could go Leah, i thought the chicken noises were brilliant yeah i i <laughs> the chicken Frequent. noises were great i i it's almost like there were real <laughs> chickens in the room with me uh yeah, yeah i i I agree completely with uh, with what everybody has said. It it was it fit and it was uh, it added to the gameplay in um, in a very satisfying way. That's a that's a word I I feel like I use a lot about this game is satisfying. Yeah, and yeah, I, I think, I that's, think fair. that's yeah, that's by design. The, this yeah, is gonna yeah. be a hyper specific reference in this game, but when when I think it's Wei Chivo, uh, I believe that's the character's name. I know mm -hmm. this is his name. I don't know how you pronounce it. Um. When he transforms from old man into goat and back and forth, oh, that yeah. kind of like that that suck in and pop out, like kind of almost has like a like a balloon popping kind of feel to it, and and the way that animation mars up with the sound design, I mm. think is a it's a good representation of of what this game does well. Is it you know it just everything seems to fit together in nice and to quote yeah. Leah Hadu satisfying way. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. It it all feels yeah like coming back to the the sort of egalitarian idea of everyone being together like the fact that the game does all mesh together so well even though it is you know all these different facets and aspects which is one of the things we always celebrate about video games on Kane and Rince especially when when it does all come together but yes it feels like yeah it feels like things are in harmony rather than playing against each other or whatever and yeah audio visual um yeah you, you still sometimes play a game where you feel like that I don't know. Isn't it? Doesn't it astonish you every time you play a game with combat in, which is most games, certainly melee combat, and they haven't got the fisticuff or the hit sounds right? You're like the yeah. one thing, the one thing that I needed you to do in this game to make me keep playing was to have the thwacks look, sound, and feel satisfying. And yeah, it's it's astonishing to me when that still occasionally kind of like a game falls short in that area. But um, but I don't think. Yeah, this one didn't for me, certainly. Chris Atwill from our Patreon says, such a distinctive game visually with a great soundtrack and interesting mechanics and progression. A thoroughly enjoyable gaming moment, which I hope one day to revisit. Let's get into a bit more about the specifics of the mechanics and the gameplay. 
A little bit of blurb, the game draws its inspiration from traditional Mexican culture and folklore and features many interesting and unique characters. Guacamole builds upon the classic open-world Metroidvania style of games by adding a strong melee combat component, a new dimension-switching mechanic, and cooperative same-screen multiplayer for the entire story. The game also blurs the boundaries between combat and platforming by making many of the moves useful and necessary for both. Yeah, thinking about it, when reading it kind of laid out like that, actually having a Metroidvania that does kind of tries a few new things at once could have it could have been an over-egged pudding situation um, to have polarity swapping, you know, dimension switching and wrestling combat and actually in the same screens a lot of the time you're doing that. But um, but somehow, again, as with the rest of the game, I felt like they kind of pulled it all together. I don't remember who said this earlier, but uh, it, it being like a puzzle a lot of the time is very appealing to me. I There were a few points where I came pretty close to being frustrated with just, you know, being able to dodge through one thing to kill the guys on the other side of the dimensional reality <laughs> so i uh, yeah th there's a lot going on especially towards the end of the game but it, it all felt very good um satisfying um yeah it, it was <laughs> it, the way that they brought everything together all of those gameplay components together for single screens sometimes uh and and just everything meshing so well yeah it 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 had that kind of puzzle element that I I really like. Yeah, I think each combat arena makes you makes you think a little bit differently about how to approach the combat because if you're if you've got an enemy that has a green shield or a red shield or a yellow shield that corresponds to one of the power ups that you've picked up along the way. So if you hit them with another attack, it actually doesn't damage them at all. It just keeps them in the fight for longer. So you kind of have to prioritize in order of who's the most dangerous or who's the closest to you or who you want to take out the quickest. You need to prioritize those moves whilst avoiding uh, other enemies that are in the same dimension, other enemies that are in a different dimension that you then have to swap to to attack them. And this might sound uh, to people listening like it could be something that gets really frustrating, and at times it does, but then when you approach it a different way, you, you generally get through that room quite quickly, and then you quickly notice that it's just a puzzle and something that you have to work out on the fly, and that uh, that tickles a part of, my part of my brain that I really enjoy when um, when playing video games. Yeah, I was going to say that, Sean, the, the combat encounters, the ones where it's specific, not your just enemies that are kind of in the traversal space where you're, the walls close and it's clearly this is like going to be the room for combat. And they're all kind of set up differently. They're set up in these little essentially battle arenas. And if you go through that first time and you're overwhelmed and, and you get, you know, beaten by a number of enemies you start to kind of like triage things right like you come in and be like well i know this guy's gonna appear up here and he's gonna be in the dark world so i'm gonna go up there first flip over and you start doing that math in your head of like well this is where i'm gonna start i'm gonna kind of start from here go around the room in this way and everyone does less become a do i do i have the ability to do this it, it's not quite that it changes to a in, just in what order do I need to tackle this or where do I need to start in the room or what dimension do I need to start in? And, and once you kind of figure out that starting point, it's like it just you, you put those pieces together. And normally by uh, on the more difficult ones, um, by the third, fourth, fifth try, you've kind of, you know, worked that out and then, you know, go through it, you know, fairly. I don't, I don't want to say simply, but you go through it a lot easier than you did when you started with no information. So 
Um, I think it, I think it sections those areas off pretty well. Also, want to say uh, just to get some criticism in in between us being pretty nice about this game on the whole. Brian and I did both experience the same bug even mm -hmm. in you know the most recent the latest version although not the switch version maybe they fixed it for that one um experienced this a couple of times not a deal breaker because checkpoints are, are relatively frequent and friendly and things like that but more than once i actually got suplexed or punched or kicked or whatever outside of a combat arena with no way to get back in <laughs> which uh which then means that you have to find the nearest place to suicide and then get respawned and then return to the screen that you're at before. But, you know, in a, I played for 10 and a half hours overall and this happened, I think, yeah, two or three times. So yeah. Brian, I want to told you how to fix it. Yeah, get good. <laughs> you yeah, did. good. That never <laughs> happened to me. I never <laughs> get touched and you'll never get this bug. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's an, that's an odd one. The only bug I ran into was a few times when the music stopped, which, you know, on the quality okay. of the music, you notice that straight away. And then a couple mm. of uh, screens later, it would, it would crash. But yeah, as you mentioned, the autosave was, was pretty good. So generally you weren't too far yeah. away from uh, yep. just being able to jump back in again. Yeah. It's, it, it just, it's weird when, when you get something like that. Um, and it actually stand it stands out so much because it's a relatively minor thing, but it stands out so much in a game that feels so slick and tight and highly produced. Yes. Um, it's odd that a, that a sort of glitch like that remains. But yeah, what about the overall game feel? You know, the control of of your character and the platforming and things like. Sometimes, I, you know, I know we we are known on this podcast for getting kind of granular and into the nitty gritty, but I think things like in a platformer, it really matters the size of the platforms and the height of the platforms and the distance they are apart and the angles they are apart and all this kind of thing, um, as well as the actual control of the character and the, and, and the locomotion, which for me, I think was just really a pleasure throughout. Like um, the character was just felt right to control, like an extension of your, you know, he, he I, I had no real points where I was thinking, do what I want you to do. You know, it was like, it was just kind of, coming from my brain flowing into the controller and onto the screen and then and that leaves the game able to challenge you with its on its own terms with yeah a difficult set of platforms or or more often than not in in this case in this game the ones that would give me a few you know pauses for thought a few retries would be the ones where you're kind of flipping dimensions in midair to avoid flying into columns and dropping into lava and things like that I think that it's pretty impressive, uh, for me anyway, that for a game that has so many different skills that you need to utilize in order to get through the arenas, those skills are not mechanically difficult to execute. So, like, yeah, it, it's not right. you have to hit six buttons at one time and do a quarter circle with your your thumbstick. And mm -hmm. you know, it's it's not any of that. It's, it's mostly just like means, a no. direction and a button type yeah. of thing. So uh, that's uh, I, I liked that they could make something simple enough for me to be able to follow because I'm not great with games like the, the whole Devil May Cry type of combo system. Yeah. You know, I enjoy that kind of stuff, but I'm not very good at it. So yeah. it, I, I felt like this was easier to, to wrap my head around. 
You could get long combos going without having to put in very difficult inputs. The inputs were all very deliberate, so it was kind of you decide how you're going in, punch, punch, they get stunned, you can put in a grab to put in a suplex or something like that. So you could uh, could kind of decide on the way and you didn't have to rush and uh, push the buttons too quickly in order to, to build up a big combo and take out a room full of skeletons. Yeah, the thing I loved about the movement in this game was that every power-up you got basically gave you another sort of skill for locomotion and traversal. So not only were you getting, um, you know, this super uppercut, you would basically get an extension of your double jump to where you could jump, double jump, then uppercut and get up there. Every every orb you got from the (laughs) from the Chozo statue statue knockoffs from Metroid that you (laughs) would get. it, it just added another layer of cool stuff you could do either in the air or to get back down to the ground quickly. And like it just this game was just building ways to get across the areas quicker as you went, because this game does have quite a bit of backtracking, you know, especially if you want to go back and do a lot of the side content or like get all the yeah. orbs and things like that. So it's nice that by the end of the game, you can literally Superman fly across screen to screen, you know, like it it builds on locomotion and traversal in a way to that when you're getting those things, yeah, they're useful for combat and you have to instantly use them in combat because there's always a little tutorial where it shows you, oh, well, you know, the green enemies, you got to do your stomp on or your slam on, so you got to use that. But then then you're realizing that, you know, if you're going down along, you know, kind of a long hole or pl- that you platformed up, you can just hit that button and just fly right down to the bottom. Like, it, it gives you all those options at your disposal so that by, you know, closing in on credits, you are just, you know, just flying through these areas. And, and I, I, I never got tired of that. Yeah, talking about uh, sort of backtracking and navigating around the map. There is a map and um, sort of interesting the way they handled this uh, in for this particular kind of Metroidvania in that we talked before, obviously we're covering the Metroid series in tandem with this and, uh, and Castlevania as well. And uh, we talked many times across all genres of games about you know, navigation and being led through the game or pointed where to go or waypoints and whatever the solutions are. So Guacamole effectively just has a, a traditional kind of 2D map, but it has an arrow on it, giving you the general sense of the direction in which you need to travel for your next major story beat. But weirdly, like, it feel it, it looks... If you look at the map, you're just like, well, you know, there's there's just blank between where I am and where that arrow is. But somehow in the course of the levels, it always kind of made sense. I always felt like it was being kind of my momentum was towards where I needed to be. And but despite that, the maps didn't feel it didn't feel too restrictive or linear or boring. You know, it does that great thing that. um we talk about a lot, but I, but I don't fully understand as just a game player is like, you know, that mm. guiding hand with you mm. without knowing that it's there. This game does that all the time. It'd be like, ah, oh, I don't know how to get there. And the next thing you know, it's like, ah, oh, this path looks, you know, I don't think I've been up here before. And the next thing you yeah. know, you're triggering the next story cutscene or you're triggering the, the next event or finding the next power up. It, it leads you that way. And I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of science and math and everything that goes into it. But um, to me, just as the player, I, I, I always felt like I could wander without ever really getting truly lost. Yeah, um, I agree. I, I had to look up a couple thing like walkthrough type things, but those were all post game content stuff, not for the actual uh, mm. main game. So it does it does you know push you in the right direction, pretty or, or should I say nudge you that way without really knowing that it's doing it. 
Yeah, mm. especially if you're not interested in picking up all of those uh, side game kind of things as well and doing absolutely all of the content in there. It's pretty easy just to stay on the main path and, um, and you know, stray and not stray too far from that. Something that I think it is pretty easy to do in a, um, a Metroidvania style game, and I'm thinking, I can think of a couple of examples. The ones that really came to my mind were Hollow Knight and um, yeah. the Ori games. Mm -hmm. Have something kind of similar to where they'll like sort of point you to an area in the map where you need yeah. to be going. But in both of those games, I would try to follow that kind of general area and I would sometimes just kind of get lost or I'd get yeah. stuck or mm -hmm. I, I would run into something where I'd be like, okay, well, I, I can see that I'm supposed to go that way, but how am I supposed to get that way? And it, it could be a little bit frustrating. And I feel like Guacamelee does a pretty good job of avoiding that. Uh, mm. it, it really... It really does have, like Brian said, that kind of hand that guides you along and um, and the, the design lends itself super well to not running into a corner uh, and, and not knowing where to go. Yeah, I, I realized I, I remembered I did look up one thing on a video walkthrough uh, and it was simply the only reason was because it, it was after I'd saved the game and not played for a couple of days and I'd forgotten I'd been given the goat climb ability. So it was just like all I needed was a reminder that you can do this thing where you go up a wall. And uh, it's like, oh, well, then I, I know exactly where I need to go in that case. So, yeah, just remembering what abilities you have um, is, as, is as useful as anything. Yeah. One thing uh, that I think maybe was a, a piece of feedback that the developers got based on what I saw that they said about the sequel is that uh, the sequel has a bullet point which says more enemy types or something like that um, is the suggestion that maybe there weren't enough enemy types in Guacamole 1? I feel like that that is kind of true in a way because a lot of the enemies are pretty similar but I feel like it gets around that by having the enemy type be different and and by type i mean like the color that they have yeah. surrounding them that you need to break through mm. so yeah maybe the models are a little similar in a lot of ways uh, the bosses are great the bo visually distinct and you know yeah. themed and everything but i i can i can see that yeah yeah, I sure. think there's a small criticism there. They probably could have done with a few uh, a few extra guys. I thought the designs were were very cool and very striking, but yeah, the, the skeletons. I think there were probably only four or five different ones, plus those big large skeletons that you have mm. to attack the heart. So yeah, there wasn't uh, too many. But agree with Leah that the the boss the bosses in these games can sometimes be you know a bit a bit of a frustrating thing. But I found them all fun and a little puzzle in their own right to uh, to get through the bosses too. Yeah, thinking about the the encounter design, like uh, you kind of you could see when it was coming. You go into a room after a period of platforming. There's a kind of there was a fairly rhythmic uh, flow to it. You kind of get a sense of when the next, you know, you do a tough sequence of platforms, and then there'd probably be a little downtime, and then there'd be a, a room where you'd go in, and it would be a big square, and then the walls would come down. There were a few little twists to this, like rooms with spikes around them, or uh, where you could, um, you know, drop enemies through the floor or something like this. And, and I think they did quite a good job of mixing up the scenarios in which you could fight enemies. But actually what I found was that because I 
enjoyed the basics of the the combat especially towards the end of the game where you've you've leveled up you've got more heart pieces uh zelda style <laughs> life you've got uh you've got all your moves you've got your intenso gauge which is like your superpower stuff um i actually really enjoyed the kind of the the rush to the final final boss where there were just a lot of um increasingly hectic combat rooms and really it just becomes uh, a kind of game of how high can i get my combo meter um you're flipping between dimensions um because some enemies you can only attack in the, in the dead dimension or the living dimension you've got all the different four different colored shields you've got the ones that fly you've got the ones that die if you leave them alive too long and take you take a hit um and yeah i think i think when they really mixed everything up um i think some of the added content was like combat arenas and puzzle rooms and things like this so yeah there's plenty to do in there as well but um yeah i feel like even though there weren't yeah dozens of different visually distinct enemies there were enough to uh, yeah for me it's just like a good thing coming into a combat room and rather than wincing and thinking oh you know progress halted i was thinking here's a chance to slam some skeletons into each other and into the floor I'd be interested to see speedrun strats on this because I found right. it very difficult. I, most of the time I didn't even try to do this because I didn't feel like I needed to. But it, a couple of places, especially towards the end, I would be kind of trying to go through an area quickly and would try to like skip some of the care, some of the uh, enemies. And you you can't or at least I couldn't. Hmm. I, I found that if I tried to do that, I would just get overwhelmed. Okay. So I, I'm interested. Um, I might have to look that up. I didn't do that. There were this, a couple but... of rooms where I decided to not get involved. I think there are some of the platforming areas that also incorporate enemies, but don't lock you off to leaving that you can just kind of roll through. I mean, yeah, we haven't mentioned the dodge roll yet. Um, I'd be interested to know who used the left trigger with plus a left stick direction and who used the right stick uh, as the roll button. I thought the dodge roll was pretty cool. I relied on it a lot in those harder rooms because it gives you quite a few iframes in there. So I was rolling oh, yes. back and forward through people in the same dimension, in the opposite dimension. There were some times when I'd just roll three or four times and think I better actually start attacking and doing some damage to these guys. So I used it a lot. I thought the dodge roll mechanic was pretty cool. And it's also a good thing to close the distance as well. It's not just good for um, for rolling through enemies and rolling through damage. You could also kind of put in an uppercut and then a dash, and then you could roll and keep the juggle going before they hit the ground. And it's all it's that sounds technical and difficult, but it actually it's not that many button presses. It's quite an easy thing yeah. to keep a couple of enemies juggled in the air, especially if you get them in the right spot in the room. You can kind of just spam the the head button, the uppercut, and you kind of just bounce them off the wall, which is uh, which is good fun. Yeah, the dodge roll I thought was really generous, and so which is, made me, yeah. which just incentivized me to use it a lot more. Like it never felt like you get back into a corner in those rooms. In fact, a lot of times you could kind of bait the enemies into the corner, dodge roll past them, and then pummel them. And <laughs> once you got them kind of trapped there, um, yeah, it just there's something about the way that animation, that roll, and it kind of like does those like. Like there, it doesn't quite freeze. It like stutters a little bit as you're going through that roll to show that you're getting through the attacks, and um, it all felt very nice and natural. So you you end up leaning on it because it feels pretty good to do. Mm. 
Yeah, it, it does actually make me think of, I know there's been a certain amount of movement towards uh, or away from hyper-technical fighting and 3D action games in recent times. And not that there's anything wrong with those games, um, but like Leah, as much as I enjoy Bayonetta and Devil May Cry, I find it hard to keep all the different kind of sequences and combos in my head. I get that some people absolutely live for mastering those games and, and whatever else, but there's also... Harking back to when Capcom made uh, what they called their EO games, Easy Operation, for the GameCube, where you could basically map special moves to the C-stick and things like this. That's what this reminded me of. Like, actually, isn't there something in taking away the actual execution of the the moves and just making it back into more about what the player chooses to do? Um, I suppose it's the, com the com another comparison would be like sports games where you go back to a sensible soccer type football game and it's, you know, one button for kick and, and eight directions to move. And then within that, it's kind of it's down to you, the player, to come up with the moves and, and whatever else. Whereas in a modern football game, you've got 28 buttons and a touchpad and, you know, special trick sticks and goodness knows what else. And I think there's there's something to that that. Yeah, I, I I could uh, I could envisage a game that was a guacamole type experience, but actually took the platforming and the the arcade adventuring out of it, and was more of a kind of combat themed game, but where it was relatively simple inputs and a relatively generous dodge roll. Um, I think there was there's still fun to be had there. Yeah, there's the dodge roll is never not fun. You know what I mean? Like it's a it's becoming it's become one of those things that you 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 laugh about when you watch like um like high level playthrough throughs of your FromSoft games, your Dark Souls and things like that where where people are one hitting, you know, characters or or beating bosses without getting hit and then um when then if you were to play me fighting that exact same character, I'm just rolling around its feet, you know, constantly trying to evade yeah. uh, whatever damage comes in and um the the cool thing about this one and I'm not sure I can't think of it um of another dodge roll in a 2d game like this that that it is that effective or that i use as much um i think blasphemous has a, has a good one as well um but it just it allows you to get out of trouble very easily and that's that's its own reward in a game like this based on those combat challenges and things like that because you could find a situation where you're getting overwhelmed and just kind of boop here i'm i'm out i'm on the other side you know what i mean you get you get kind of like that that free window to kind of do some damage without putting yourself in any more risk or make any more difficult on yourself hmm. yeah so the dodge roll doesn't really have a cooldown on it so all your your super special moves do right all based on your how much stamina you've accrued yeah, they've all got a cooldown. Yeah, I never had that much trouble with maintaining stamina, and I mean, maybe that was just the suit I was wearing. But uh, <laughs> stamina yeah, suit. I I did not. It it felt very forgiving for me, even yeah. kind of early in the game. Now, yeah. Sean, you mentioned before. I I think if I'm remembering correctly, I just when you when you had mentioned it when we were talking about the game off off recording on the Slack that um the the abilities are based on a meter. You build that meter by doing regular attacks, combo attacks. Is that correct? I think it's that your meter, uh, you build up your stamina as you go. So as you pick up those things in the chest, that actually gives you more stamina. So you've always right. got those little circular yellow uh, things yeah. that you see on your screen. So 
essentially they have a couple of second cooldown. So I found that I did run out of stamina a couple of times. It was kind of later on in the game when I was just spamming those special moves. Generally when I'd have the have a bunch of enemies up against the corner and I was just kind of uppercutting and headbutting en masse and I'd find that uh, you'd start to flash red when you haven't got uh, any mm. of that left, so ah, that's yeah. your indicator. But then I'd drop back into a normal combo as they're getting up, and normally by the time you've landed a couple of hits on your normal combo, a couple of your specials have come back. So they're fairly generous with that, and they want you to use that a lot in the combat. They don't just want you to rely on your kind of three-hit combo. They obviously want those moves that they're giving you to be used in combat and also in your uh, in your traversal of the levels as well. I did all the chicken trials, whatever the yes, whatever yeah, the they chicken were. trials are good, and um and actually yeah again like often with you know uh, fighting games for a long time now I've had those kind of dojos where they ask you to complete things. Go I think going back to like Street Fighter EX plus Alpha on the PS One, increasingly impossible execution strings like from my point of view. Um, but these ones were like, oh, I think I can do these and I would just stick at them long enough. Um, even if, you know, a couple of them were a little bit confusing or required a little bit more precision timing, like ones where you had to uh, come down and then do an air kick on your way down and then finish with a combo on that. But again, it was all, yeah, it all felt very accessible and straightforward compared to what these games can be like. Is that the part with the chicken you mean, Leon, when you do the combos on the chicken yeah. that trains you? Yeah, that was yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. I, fa- I found that funny. That was one of the, the, the jokes that did land for me, actually, just the fact that you're doing a combo on a, a chicken, so it's kind of 10-piece combo and things like that. I found pretty <laughs> pretty funny. Telepri from our forums says, I've tried going back to Guacamole a few times over the years after loving my initial time with it on Vita, but always bounced off an hour or two in. I think it's that I generally don't care for the Metroidvania format. Even the few I really like, I could usually do without the excessive backtracking and exploration. Celeste scratches a similar platforming itch without all those pesky, superfluous corridors and power-ups and more corridors. Juan frog-slammed and turned into a chicken so that Madeline could teach us about self-acceptance and wave-dashing. Just kidding. Smash Brothers taught us wave-dashing. Guys, what's (laughs) wave-dashing? Uh, you probably need to listen to our, uh, like seven, eight, nine year old Smash Brothers show. You okay. see, think... Leah, when a man loves a wave bird very much. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we'll we'll wave... talk about this off air. <laughs> <laughs> My wave bird died. Uh, Aww. yeah, I, I'm pretty sure Darren explained wave dashing. Um, back it's in... just one of those things that yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I hear people talk about yeah. all the time and I nod yeah. like I know what they're talking about, but I don't. Google it. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Safe search off. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah. Um, I guess. I mean, yeah. If 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 the Metroidvania or the, yeah, whatever the makes the Metroidvania the Metroidvania parts. If if you just want a platformer or just want a fun combat game, then yeah, this game does have some backtracking in although actually i would say if you don't go for the extra chests and the extra heart pieces and all that you can just kind of barrel on through for the most part i i didn't do a lot of going you back. have to kind of go back to the the central hub every once in a while mm-hmm. but i i mean it's it it does the dark souls thing right like you you as you, after Bing. you've done all of yeah, after you've done all of the difficult stuff to get to where you need to be in an area, you open up a shortcut that just you takes do. you right back to the beginning. So yeah. 
it's um it's it's not difficult to get back there when you do need to but yeah i there's not there's not too much required backtracking that that actually takes very long at all yeah i also like also got those big heads on the map that you can unlock as well so as you go to a different area that i think maybe Mm. moai heads i'm not sure if i'm referring to that correctly but you get those wrong culture but same wrong idea i think Yeah. yeah yeah So you generally, yeah, you see one of those, you open it up and then you can, any other one that you've found elsewhere. I didn't really engage with that too much as the areas would put you close enough to where you had to be um, if you're kind of following the story. But uh, they're handy, I suppose, for late game if you want to get to anywhere you need to get to without without traversing the map. Definitely. It's also cool the way they do the walls and barriers that are power-up gated because it makes backtracking a lot more friendly to the player because... Like, oh, is there any area that I haven't explored here? And there's just a giant red brick with the two arrows. I'm like, oh, I need to uppercut through that, you know, and uh, or, you know, the the headbutt walls and things like that. Like, the, they're they're very striking visually. So, you know, if there's an area, so you come back to town and there's that giant yellow brick, you know, oh, well, I haven't been there. I can go check that out if I want to. Probably don't need to. It's not the way that the arrow tells me I'm supposed to go. But, you know, it it, it doesn't hide many of those things. There's a few really intricate ones later on. It does kind of really put off the beaten path for most for most side content there it's pretty easy to see where you would need to go should you choose choose to engage with it so i found that very helpful oh that reminds me i i didn't i've completed the game but i didn't find the additional ability which is the chicken bomb so i've never i've never bombed any purple blocks uh, yeah, where the chicken do, bomb where do i get it i <laughs> If 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 memory serves me correctly, I think you need to. So there's the L Infern Infernio challenges. I'll probably yeah. pronounce that incorrectly, but Something essentially like- it's the hell area where mm-hmm. a couple of yeah. very tough challenges. There's 20 rooms in total. I think you yeah. only need to do 10 in order to get the orb, which is contributes to the good ending. But if you do all 20 of those rooms, and I'm not sure if you need a gold medal on all of them, but I think you oh, may. So if you do all 20 of those rooms, get a medal or a gold medal, you then uh, get the ability uh, for to lay the explosive egg. Oh, yeah, good I, Lord. I thought it was 10 gold medals, but it, it, apparently it's 10 silver or golds. But yeah, okay. um, <laughs> essentially, essentially the devil is just a like a purplish black chicken that sits atop the top of this Fact. like this hell hotel <laughs> it's it's been, that 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 you know tickled me a little bit that was it was pretty good and <laughs> and and that and that devil does not really seem very interested in his job in his day-to-day he he's way more interested in putting you through these hellish challenges and not really necessarily running the underworld um but uh but yeah if you do 10 of those then yeah you get get that um mm, okay I uh, cool. don't think I can be bothered. Uh, <laughs> I did also want to talk about we we alluded to it earlier. So you can unlock costumes in in most of the yeah most most likely the version you'll play it will be with the silver coins unless you go proper old school. Um, and I thought these were nice cosmetics, so I was buying new costumes <laughs> and then wearing them for a bit, and then going on to the next one. And I got to this one, and the little chicken. Um, because Juan is a football or soccer fan, the chicken becomes my favourite all-time soccer ball, which is the Adidas Tango. Um, and so I loved this. So I was not going to change from this. I don't care how many costumes I got. I was going to be this costume. I stuck with it. I stuck with it. I noticed that the game did seem to be getting harder uh, and combat rooms were taking me longer. Um, and then I got to this one room quite late in the game 
where you're suspended above spiky spinners, spinners or spinny spikers, and a load of these uh, kind of near spherical or egg-like birds that hang in the sky that have a countdown timer on, and then they blow up. And if they blow up, you take a hit. And uh, of course, in a normal regular room, that's okay. You can take a bit of damage. It'll break your combo, but you can carry on. In this room, if you take a hit, you die because you drop off to the bottom. Now, you had to use your goat fly to fly from one side of this square box room to another to punch the chickens in the air on the way. And they're counting down quite quickly. And the puzzle is do this several times, get around the room, complete punching all the rows of chickens. But I could not punch this chicken hard enough. The second one, <laughs> the second one would not go. So the first one is like a one hit freebie. The second one is is on the top middle row. And it's I think it starts on a seven. And I and I was, you know, flying backwards and forth. And, and it was only getting I was getting down to like two thirds of its energy bar or half or something. And um, and then it was popping and I was dying. And I was like, oh, um, and I was starting to think, is there a mechanic in this where I'm supposed to have been powering up my super attacks or something like this? Anyway, went on to our Slack channel, asked the folks what was going on. It turns out I was wearing a costume which massively reduces your attack damage uh, in favor of uh, stamina, I think it was. Um, but I hadn't really clocked this. And uh, and yeah, went back, changed costumes, did it second try. Um <laughs> Yeah, so watch out for that. Or re as as I said to Leah, you know, I really should learn to actually read text on screen sometimes when when games are telling me things. It does uh, actually reading is for losers. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Just figure it out on the fly on the goat fly. Who uh, reads if, in a video game? If you're if you're uh, really interested in the multiple layers of the interaction, you can look up the on the Canaris Twitter feed the three word reviews tweet in which Chris Worthington oh, yeah. from the Canaris podcast Burn three me. word review was wear correct costume. <laughs> <laughs> He's done me like a kid. So I actually, uh, I think this probably speaks a little bit to how little the story is really all of that all that consequential because I. At least this time around, I think the first time I just used kind of standard one, but uh, I changed to the female uh, protagonist, uh, who Tostada, I think is her name. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and I, I mean, it's exactly the same. Like she, she has all of the same abilities. She, you know, everything is. It, it changes nothing about the story. Uh, sometimes you meet up with her palette swapped self, and um, yeah, the the costume that I ended up getting was actually the most expensive one because I thought it looked the coolest, but it's also the best in terms of uh, stats, so I lucked out there. It's like a, a devil suit thing, um, and yeah, it was pretty cool. There you go. Yeah, they had the, the different suits were, um, were something that they expanded a bit more on in this Super Turbo Championship edition, and mm -hmm. the Tostada suit is the same. It's the same moveset, but I didn't actually realize until I played around with it a bit. If you swap to some of the other characters, like the what's the name, the Flame Face guy, um, mm, Flame Face. and a couple of the other, yeah, Flame Face, it, they've actually got a little bit of a different moveset. He kind of shoots his guns at a short range, and while it was fun to play around with for for a little while, I felt a little bit strange playing as a different character because it's it's one story. So yeah, when you come to those cutscenes that are yeah, within the yeah. game, they still speak yeah. to you as if you're that that kind of character, which took me out of it a little bit. So. Yeah. I always found myself switching switching back to Juan uh, pretty quickly when I was playing. Back to Juan. Back to Juan. Back to square Juan. <laughs> Mr. Ixolite. 
from the forum says, For a time, I was pretty out on Metroidvanias, finding them repetitive and samey. But here, Guacamele was an outlier. The various abilities you unlock do not simply let you double jump or destroy colour-coded blocks, but also expand what combos you can pull off in battles, as well as how many colour-coded enemies the game can throw at you. Combat is not something you can absentmindedly pull off in Guacamele, and by the late game you're juggling so many abilities and dimensions that Platinum Games would nod in approval. Fighting feels good, and throwing enemies into each other never gets old. Outside of battle, there's never a dull moment either. Rarely can you just walk into a room and pick up an item, as the game constantly challenges you to overcome platforming challenges with your ever-expanding moveset. Many of these can be quite devious, but the generous checkpointing and unlimited lives ensures that they never grated, at least for me. Did anyone have a period of the game where they were, you know, throwing their beta or whatever they were <laughs> holding controller any wall wall obviously the the bit for me turns out was user error rather than inability um i think the only time i i was worried i was going to get frustrated was the my first sort of three attempts at the final boss i was like oh this is horrible but then i learned it and it was not that difficult but there were definitely a few rooms that i had to do over a few times but i don't think that anything was so out of reach or or felt so out of reach yeah. e that even when I did fail I was okay with going back to it because it didn't it didn't feel like I and I've definitely I know we all have played games from time to time where like you go into a, an encounter or an area and just immediately get squashed and think there is no way I'm ever going to be able to do this. I never really felt like that. I I you know I definitely had failed fail states but I didn't feel like they were uh, insurmountable at mm. really any time. The only time that I came up against it was generally self-inflicted. Like I, it was not the main part of the game, but it was going outside uh, mainly those El Inferno challenge rooms. There was a couple of yeah, those rooms right. where you had some really strict conditions. So if you wanted the gold medal, it was kind of beat the beat a bunch of enemies in 40 seconds with 150 mm. combo as a minimum and don't take oh, a single hit. And I'm the kind of person that I, I kind of get a bit of bee in my bonnet about those things. If I don't do it the second or third time, I start to take it a little bit personally. Um, <laughs> but, but, I, but but that's for me, that's what I, when I'm kind of getting angry and swearing at a game is generally when I'm having the most fun with it. I, I, oh, is I'm, it? Okay. I'm a bit of, yeah, I'm a bit of a masochist like that. So I wish I was the same. <laughs> so those, even though it was some of my favourite content in the game, I found those bits hard, and particularly when you were getting to kind of the final enemy of a challenge. So you're executing perfectly until that last point, and then every every time he'd just get me. But uh, I kept going back for more, and when you finally overcome, uh, that's uh, that's that's the reason that I play video games. So I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, yeah all all those same challenges for me, uh, just like Sean so eloquently described, were were mostly post-game stuff, like uh, getting the orbs. There was a lot of times that I was like, oh, I don't think I can do this. I'm going to have to look up how to do it. I must be doing something wrong. And that just to find out that, no, I, I know what to do. I just It's a matter of actually doing the thing is, is the problem. And um, So, yeah, but during the main course of the game, not, not really much of that. Um, maybe, like you said, Leon, that, that final boss at first, it just felt like there was so much going on. And then yeah. once, once you read the patterns and learn the attack because those especially those horizontal attacks they're so wide you know yeah, so like yeah, yeah. you take any of those hits and you get really you get smoked pretty quick and uh but once you learn the pattern i felt like it was pretty generous the amount of damage that, that i was doing and and once you 
like 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 we've all said multiple times once you figure out the puzzle it's just a matter of okay doing it and and it was never too much of an issue i wouldn't say i enjoyed the trio della muerte because they reminded me of the wonderful marvelous sandbone trio from the legendary guitaru man uh which if you don't know that we probably should have covered it by now but uh, but haven't and it's not available on current systems tragically um and yeah i was sort of intimidated going into the <laughs> the jaguar javier fight because i'd read that it was the hardest fight in the game and uh and typical uh it was just it was literally i think the next thing after that room that i was talking about where i was wearing the wrong costume and i guess you know after having done that i was feeling bold emboldened and um yeah second try on Haguar javier so um yeah wear the right suit <laughs> thanks chris um any other boss trials or tribulations or or fun with bosses oh, dare i ask? the i i like the I, I don't know how to pronounce it it's a uh, is it extabe is that how it is Stabe. Stabe. Might be. Um, I, I like the throwback to obviously the the original Super Mario Brothers. You know, with the hitting the 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 switch at the end to drop them in the pit. I think that's mm. fun and it's a decent callback. One we've seen in a few games, but still, I still appreciate those things when I see them. But um, the thing that uh, bothered me is that I still don't have that achievement unlocked. I don't know why it's glitched. <laughs> so I I've, had a, I've read yeah. a lot of people. So I've got the, I've got the achievement for beating the game with uh, with all the orbs. But I don't have the achievement for beating the first major boss. <laughs> so ah. that was, it's kind of, I keep looking at that on my true achievements. I'm like, come on. But yeah, what, what are you going to do? Infuriating. Embrace <laughs> it and let it go, Brian. Yeah. I do, you know me in achievements, Leah. I'm super good at that. I know. I know. I'm trying super to help. good at letting it go. <laughs> Any other achievements worth uh, commenting on? I did, I did uh, link up the list. Um, I think I got, I don't know, like the usual kind of half that you get when you just play through a game normally yeah that's pretty much what i got i yeah. didn't i didn't um i i'm i'm like you can never really tell with me in achievements sometimes i just go hard and sometimes i just let yeah, it go yeah. uh, more more often than not it's just kind of what i get i get yeah same. um but depends on time and yeah and, uh, how much you love the game and what else you got on and that kind of thing. Uh, were there I'm any like forty hours deep into theater rhythm at this point? Just, <laughs> just don't, just don't. <laughs> she, she said the same thing last week. Only it was only twenty hours. Then. Yeah, um, well. <laughs> Brian, uh, any as somebody who does like an achievement or two, uh, were there any that actually persuaded you to uh, persist with them? Yeah, there from, were a couple. There were a couple of them. Um, I'm I'm searching the list now, of course, and and not remembering them as they popped in my head. The one the one that I really was searching for was the one for getting all the orbs and then finishing the game with the with the good mm. ending. Um, that one, it really like it really was way more involved than I expected it to be. Um, I don't think um that there was, I didn't quite think that there was many areas that I hadn't found yet. And then and the game just kind of seemed to just, you know, expand and expand and expand. These areas <laughs> just came, kept expanding to a point where I, I really didn't, you know, um, I, I didn't see where all these areas, how I could have missed all of them. You're so, right. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, no, nothing. There was nothing really that that jumps out as um, the, the one that I was like absolutely hyper focused on. I could never quite get was the achieving the 125 hit combo. 
and and or the 200 hit combo and i was like how am i going to do this and then i got to those inferno challenges and that kind of took care of itself so sean while we get to know you are you an achievements and trophies person or could you not care less not at all i've i think i've played a lot of video games but i have only ever platinumed one video game so i i generally don't hunt for the achievements and in saying that that though in this game they come up they're on the on the switch so not in a way that a traditional achievements done where it kind of pops on the screen yeah so i kept an eye on that one and yeah the achievements for the combos and things like that i had good fun uh racking those up so i ended up with all the achievements kind of all the collectibles and full map completion and all that kind of thing the only couple of achievements that i didn't get involved using different costumes or different characters and beaten certain bosses with conditions i didn't play around with the other characters as much so i left those Mm. achievements but yeah picked up all the other ones uh, that were there oh well don't care but got them all anyway um unbelievable <laughs> one of the one of the funnier ones that i got and i didn't even realize this because i must have started the xbox version of guacamole when i first downloaded it and then and then started replaying it for the show is i started a uh, game in slot two and it immediately unlocked achievement that said next gen and started that's the new one game that's glitched for me that's yeah, me too oh, really? enough, i did the slot two and i didn't get the achievement for that one either i'm just thinking back to that now it's ripped me off on an achievement <laughs> Um, I don't think I was actually really conscious of the fact that there were good and bad endings while I was playing. Uh, so could somebody... Uh, minor who... minor complaint that I have is yeah. that I don't love it when games hide a good ending behind a lot of stuff that a lot of people aren't going to do. I agree. I, I, don't, I don't need it to be the best ending that you get for, you know, kind of completing the game. But it's kind of disappointing mm. to have done... You know, not not even the bare minimum, you know, just not everything and yeah. still get a bad ending for it. Like, if you want to hide a true, air quotes again, this is the third time this episode, yeah. the, you know, a true ending or, you know, an extra good ending or something, then, you know, that I that I get a little bit more. But I don't, I just, I, you know, yeah. I, I finished the game. You know, yeah. I did a good. Please give me something <laughs> that's three, not Three terrible. endings maybe is uh, is something else where you've got like, you know, a, a, a kind of standard one or one where you've actually messed up in some way and then you've got your kind of hardcore perfect ending. But at least make the regular one be not sad like Brian. You were you were so <laughs> sad you were motivated to do it. To I, do it. Well, I've <laughs> so maybe that's so I finished wanted. the game and I beat Kalaka. Yeah. And it, I got, so you, that's the way you get the first, well, not the first orb if you found other ones, but that's the way I got my first orb was by beating Kalaka at the end. And then Juan carries her lifeless body back to her father and then is sad and like moseys off. I'm like, this isn't, this for this vibrant, fun game, this isn't how I want to go out. So I looked it up and it's like, yeah, these other orbs. And um, turned out I was really close to getting another one of them. I just didn't kind of finish what I was doing. So I went and got that one first and then I just, Followed a couple guides like where they were and and did it and then you know went back and beat Kalaka again got the final orb and we we ended up married in the town square so yeah. you know all all's right with the world the happiest of all endings yeah what frightened me there was though that you said Kalaka I thought you said Cloaca which is oh the you know the yes talking about fi- foul again um it's, <laughs> it's say, the, um, that, that's actually what i thought uh, his name was I, I thought there was a play on words and then i didn't want to be the i didn't want on my first podcast be the one that brought that up and started talking about fact, chicken sink it's the so. fact that brian has a beating cloaca is uh, now an image that i'll never be able I've to got a, i've got a doctor i see about that leon i think we're, we're we're close to the end of the final battle there but yeah <laughs> 
by the way, I would like to correct myself. Um, Kalaka does not mean skull. It means skeleton. Oh. Calavera means skull. Ah, okay. So if you have a Mexican Day of the Dead theme to your game, uh, they, they've both gone now. So that's... Uh... <laughs> yeah, you're just done. Come up with something else. Ben Johnson from our Patreon says the game is on point from art direction to music to controls and level design. Drinkbox are in that same category of studios as the beer moth for me. You never know what they're going to do next, but you know it's going to be interesting at the very least. Yeah, multiplayer allows co-op play for at least two players on one screen, up to four on most versions. When the gap between the players gets too far and one leaves the screen, the character gets teleported back, which sounds like uh, New Super Mario Brothers Wii, I guess. Uh, the second character is by default Tostada, but yeah, there's various costumes in the game. You can be the goat guy that has the Chuzo statues or um, a number of others. I think you can be the enemies as well, but they were paid DLC at first originally. Anyway, um, yeah, so I, I just can't really imagine playing a Metroidvania in local co-op am i being unimaginative it seems like it would be really difficult for those like platforming sections where you're switching polarity and all that kind of stuff how do, how does that even work yeah i i don't remember and it's not it's not <laughs> i'm not putting that out to be like like Thanks, i Brian. you know we we weren't drinking that much but oh yeah um, I, my 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 fondest memories of those moments are just the combat encounters and and then kind of trying to move the screen as the other person's trying to make a jump just to mess with them you know stuff like that um but I don't I, I don't remember doing like the polarity switching things. I I think if if I'm having, you know, decade old memories um, coming back to me, I yeah. believe it was a situation where we would just kind of let the one person do it. And then the other person would teleport up to them, you know, once they got too far away. So, yeah, mm. that's that's an option. You've also got the there's a shadow mode as well so that you can actually just change your character. Um, you, Your character changes into a shadow. So that passes the dimension, but it doesn't swap the dimension for the other player because that would then uh, stop them from attacking a character or something like right. that. But look, with that, when that adds it in, it does get a little bit complicated. And if I was there playing with a friend and drinking tequila, I'd, I think I'd just be having one of us going through those moments rather than both doing <laughs> yeah. that because that's a, a headache waiting to happen. I now understand what that option was in the options about shadow worlds and that's being right. Shadows yep. and things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They don't explain it very well. I still just feel like, and again, this is so unqualified because I haven't even tried it, but I, I feel <laughs> like I really enjoyed the, the flow of the platforming and all that. And I love playing games in co-op and me and Darren play co-op every week um, online as it is, but I've, I also love playing local co-op, but it just does. This just doesn't quite, I can't imagine it. It just feels like the the platforming flow and everything would be kind of so shaken up and you'd be distracted. And I don't know. I'm probably just. You're saying not... that Darren would ruin a video game for oh, you? Oh, yeah. No, was... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's ruined everything we've played together so far <laughs> with his nonsense. <laughs> you should hear the stuff he comes out with. Uh, Mr. Ixalite is less positive overall. My only real sticking points, though, were the bland, inexpressive protagonist and the tone leaning a bit too much on winking meta-humour. I don't mind the various posters plastered across town, but when the sarcastic elder chides you for destroying his Chuzo statues, it felt like a bit much. The game has so much distinct visual and gameplay flair that it's a shame the writing didn't quite match it. Yeah, I see that's that's a pretty fair criticism by Mr. Ixlite there. I... I don't think it 
struck me as hard as it did they uh, did them um but there are moments in this game where it, it does full on stop you in what you're doing normally because you're getting a power up or you're getting um or, or maybe you're learning a new move um in the town from one of those little the kind of trainer areas but where the game will just full on hard stop you just to deliver a joke and a lot of times those jokes don't really land. So I, I could see that if you're not really enjoying the combat or if the Metroidvania aspects of this game aren't enough to kind of pull you to keep going, I could see that becoming real grading really quickly. Um, I, I didn't have that experience, but I, I, I could totally see that. Yeah, sure. Juan was planned to appear as a playable cameo character in the unfinished Wii U and PC game Hex Heroes. Don't remember it. Not even ringing a bell. <laughs> no. However, both Juan and Tostada appear as playable guest star characters in Runbo. Juan also appears in Indivisible as a guest character. Juan also appears as a playable character in Brawlout. He also has been added to Dead Cells. Juan is a whore. He's getting around. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, bold words, but firm but true. Um... <laughs> yeah, I saw, saw the reference in Dead Cells and thought, oh, yeah. That's that guy. That's gotta. That's gotta feel good as a studio, right? Like yeah, to have your have your guy yeah, being pulled sure. into all these other things, and um, and kind of the way that studio has has developed in the and the games that they're making now, or at least the last game they made. Like it just, you know, when you've got your your upstart team and and you make this thing that gets some traction and obviously has done well for itself, and then you see your guy getting. Um, it reminds me. I, I I wasn't aware of almost any of these except for Runbo. Actually, it was the only one I was aware of. But it kind of reminded me for that. You know that glorious you know let's say call it 18 month period where uh if any game came out with multiple characters you knew shovel knight was gonna end up in there you know <laughs> so <laughs> yeah me that yeah yeah that's a kind of interesting thing about that movement of indie guest characters I, i'm trying to think god it's kind of how far it goes back but i feel like it's quite a long time now i remember i don't know certain Certain... Soul caliber characters well uh, i suppose not yeah, exactly yeah. indie but no sure yeah no that's true um, but yeah, particularly that sort of thing of, I don't know, Meat Boy turning up in Bit Trip or vice versa. I can't even right. remember which way around it was now. Um, but it, yeah, it's funny that actually that kind of spread out into more mainstream games when you are seeing indie characters in massive Nintendo titles and things like that. Yeah, different times. Um, but yeah, Juan gets about a bit. Um, I don't know if Guacamole 2 did well enough for there to be more guacamole or whether they feel they've kind of explored that genre and that character as far as they can go i guess we'll see i'm patiently holding out um well not really patiently it did, it did only come out last year but uh, i would love to see them take another run at nobody saves the world and so at what a sequel to that game would look like for oh, sure it's so good yeah it is <laughs> yeah. still on game pass or not I'm yes sure. i don't remember <laughs> yeah <laughs> worth it if even if it's not in my opinion worth buying anyway but uh yes i'm sure it's on our big list maybe we'll cover it someday we've got at least a couple of big fans oh yeah anyway Stephen cookson from our patreon says as a fan of metroidvania's wrestling day of the dead aesthetics and guacamole this game seems to have been made exactly for me and i'm grateful for it Guacamole is a fun little game that pushes all the right buttons in terms of gameplay, charming comedic tone, and has a wonderful visual style to boot. The controls are fluid, and it was incredibly fun mixing up the styles to rack up massive combos 
while you do pile drivers on skeletons and headbutt the devil. I've heard complaints about it being too short, but I think the length is perfect for something that's a little lighter and jokey. If you haven't played this game, definitely try it out. If you're like me, you probably have at least three copies from bundles and giveaways. Guacamele's impact on the indie Metroidvania revival is enough to mark it down as one of the better games of the last decade, and the world is better for it. Nice. We have a little selection of three-word reviews as well. Follow us on the social media places at Kane and Rince. Mr. Ixolite says, Simon says, Piledriver. Cantona's Ghost says, Luchadorable Non-Linear Independence. Perhaps the most syllables ever crammed into a three-word <laughs> review. <laughs> Telepri says, Portable Polo Power. And Kraut Cobain says, Grab, Grapple, Launch. Thank you very much. For... Now now that you said that, someone's going to try to cram anti-disestablishmentarianism yeah. into next week's nihilification. Right, let's try to summarize in fewer syllables. Uh, I'll go first, not because I dislike the game at all, but because I don't think I have that much more to say other than Guacamole was a really fun time. Really slick, solid, crisp, flowing Metroidvania. We've said it a lot, but I said we would. Uh, lovely colors, nice visuals, uh, cracking soundtrack, um, satisfying sense of progression. And, uh, yeah, enjoyable combat screens that were, although sometimes challenging, same with the platforming challenges, uh, always enjoyable to better and best. And I don't think other than, yeah, the aforementioned user error floor of getting stuck because I couldn't do a thing because it literally it became literally impossible because I was wearing the, the wrong costume. Um, I, yeah, I never felt overwhelmed or frustrated to the point that I wanted to stop. It's one of those games that actually I was putting on and intending to stop, but then thinking I could just get to the next checkpoint. I could just get to the next checkpoint. I could just get to the next checkpoint. And then before you know it, another hour has passed and you're another good chunk through the game. I think you can finish this game in, I don't know. I mean, I haven't looked at speedrun times or anything, but I think like a, a quick but sensible time would be about maybe six to seven hours, something like that uh whereas i ended up playing it for ten and a half but that was including some of the side content some side quests and so on and so forth so um and i'm sure you can i don't know what brian's total time was doing everything or sean's actually but um yeah depending on how you play but actually yeah i just found it like i just there was a good sense of forward momentum throughout apart from that one time i was stuck yeah uh it's probably in your library <laughs> on one of the systems you own and if you haven't got round to playing it and you fancy something that will give you feel good vibes and uh, and also a sense of satisfaction and achievement from beating it play guacamole simple as that Leah I think I'm going to be pretty similar uh, to what Leon just said actually I, I enjoyed my time with guacamole a great deal both times I played it and I, I think that everything, I'm going to say it one last time, uh, everything is, wait, what was what was it that I was saying? I've, I've forgotten. <laughs> satisfying. Really satisfying. Thank you. Yes, it's cohesive. It is satisfying. Everything blends together super well. And I, I would 
almost unreservedly recommend it. Um, I, I don't even think that I have specific reservations about recommending it. I just am hesitant always to unreservedly uh, recommend something with, with very few exceptions. Anyway, I agree that you probably already own a copy of this game. If you don't, then it is frequently on sale and or free in different places. So if you are at all interested in what we've said and you have not yet played it, I do recommend picking it up. It is a good time. It'll it'll uh, probably grab you uh, on some level in the same way that it seems to have grabbed most of us. So um, I, I'm not a fan of guacamole, but I am a fan of guacamole. Uh, drop that bombshell right at the end. Yeah, yeah, take that. <laughs> You've got to have exactly the right ripeness of avocado. Mm. Uh, I mean, but... I don't, I don't begrudge anybody who does. It's just no, not my sure. thing. I prefer salsa. Well, uh, I avocado don't think we can be friends anymore. How about that? <gasps> Good lord, I'm afraid you're fired. But oh, just well. before you go, if you could summarize <laughs> guacamole for me, that'd be great. I, I just did. Does that mean I'm done? <laughs> I think no, he was referring Brian. to me. Oh, sorry, avocado I'm fired. And you're not, avocado you're not and, fired. You, yeah. you can, you can. Oh. You can stay for okay. you can stay even though you dislike gu guacamole. Brian's fired for his pun. <laughs> oh, okay, um, it's all very clear now. <laughs> yeah, uh, I guacamole. I think guacamole rules. Um, I think it is a pretty by the numbers Metroidvania if that's how you want to view the game. And I think you could very easily view it that way and spend your six to ten hours with it and and come out and be like, yep. That was a satisfying Metroidvania, and I enjoyed some pieces, other parts didn't land, and, and so on and so forth. Um, to, to me, the real draw of Guacamelee is its visuals and its music and kind of the whole package. It's one of those games that until you're playing the game with the music on, seeing the visuals and it all kind of coming together, it, it it's a game that you have to play, I think, to kind of know if you're going to dig it. Because it does have sections where that are repetitive. It does have... Um, it does do things you've seen before. It's not particularly uh, inventive when it comes to gameplay, but I think the combat's really good, and I think that it looks incredible still, and I think it sounds amazing, and it's one of those games that, like, there are a lot of dark and grimy and gritty video games out there, and this game, while it does have some, you know, story elements that are not exactly positive or upbeat, you know, you are tra you know traveling back and forth between the world of the dead, but it it just it's like whimsical and fun and it it seemingly knows what it is and i think that is what makes it unique if you're if you're going into this thinking it's going to be this revolutionary metroidvania type of game it's not that but it is unique and it is uh, very easy to recognize and separate from the crowd of metroidvanias that are out there so um yeah i think if you're at all interested in a metroidvania style type of game this game's probably going to be for you just because it does those flourishy detail-y things differently than others and if nothing else it's 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 unique and a lot of there's a lot of originality there in its ideas and so um and as i said before i've, I've really liked the output of the studio since so i'm um i highly recommend this game and i highly recommend you check out their other games too trumpets yes and chickens Right, and because it's your debut, Sean, you get to you get the final word. In a pretty wide, kind of vast ocean of these kind of games, there's a lot like it, a lot of these indie Metroidvanias, but Guacamole does enough uh, to elevate itself above the crowd. 
I really enjoy all the gameplay elements in general, uh, in particular the more puzzle-focused combat challenge rooms and those uh, El Inferno challenges and getting all those Chakmul uh, orb pieces as well. I really enjoyed those parts of the game um, a lot. Looking back, maybe I should have played around a little bit more with the other costumes and characters, but I just found that it always felt a little odd to do that, just being as it was as it was Juan's story and, and his adventure. Um, and as much as I enjoyed the game, I think a lot of the elements, they push things to a certain point, but they maybe could have pushed certain things even a little bit further. And uh, upon playing the sequel, I think they got a lot of things right with the, with the evolutions. Uh, and I probably think overall the second one is even more essential than, than Guacamole. Uh, but in saying that, um, I just think the combat in it never gets old. It's always really fun to go into a new challenge room and see the new puzzle that's laid out in front of you and bounce a few skeletons off the wall and use your different moves to, to kind of bounce off the walls and run around the room. It's just great fun. So I definitely recommend Guacamole. And if you've got eight to 15 hours spare and crave some fast paced luchador madness, then I think it's well worth taking a look. And it probably isn't gonna cost you very much to do so if you haven't already got it in your library somewhere across multiple consoles. Absolutely. Well said. Nice job. Yeah, just remains for me, Leon, to thank Brian, Leah, Sean, Editor Jay, all of our correspondents, and of course, as always, you for listening to us. Next time, in issue 560, I think for the first time this volume, we're picking up where we left off with Yakuza. We're on number five. See you then. (laughs) 